I cling to him, alternately gasping and hissing through my teeth as he caresses me with his hands and mouth. It turns out I am absolutely crazy about breastplate. I had no clue. And folks, that's just a little excerpt of the spicy moment in the new book, The Heart Principle by Helen Hoan. That is our book for this episode. As you can see, it's very steamy and it just got released on August 30th. So it's almost literally hot off the shelves and we can't wait to talk about it with you. Welcome to Hot Off the Shelves. good it's a little busy right now because I've been working a lot and you know just living the life but yeah it's pretty fun pretty vague but pretty fun (laughs) I guess as long as you're having fun I mean it's been really really hot lately yeah it has been and it didn't help that I just ate spicy noodles to to match this spicy book right before this podcast. My lips are still burning, by the way. I saw you eating that. So, okay, listeners who don't know this, Kara is a spicy food fanatic. Like, like she lives for spicy food. And any food that doesn't have spice in it, she, like, pours hot sauce on it. And no food is, no food is ever spicy enough. So this was, like, a rare moment where, like, this was so spicy that, like, water was coming out of her eyes. Hey, hey, hey. I object. First of all, I don't put hot sauce on all my food. I put chili flakes, okay? Okay, Chili okay. flakes, not chili hot flakes. sauce. The sriracha sauce may be great, but it changes the taste. Mm-hmm. So, no. It does. Yeah. So chili flakes is a way to go. But this time, um, I... I don't know. I think my spice tolerance has gone down. And so what I ate was this, um, the Balduk. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's B-A-L-D-U-K noodles. You know, a couple years ago, they were like these spicy noodle challenge all over YouTube. It's that brand. Oh, yeah. People are still doing it. Are they? On YouTube. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. And then it's the 2X, so two times spicy. And then... I thought I could handle it. And I used to be able to handle it, but this time I was just crying. Yeah. Yeah, but she was enjoying eating it so much that, like, she just kept eating. I know. Everybody around me was like, like, why are you doing this to yourself? I'm like, this tastes so good. I tried, like, two noodles, and they were really good, but I also felt like my throat was being attacked. So it was very spicy. Yeah, I, I have to admit that it was really spicy because for me to cry, oh, that, that gotta be spicy. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, how that uh, the, the that quiet person started yelling and you know, like, oh shit, this is bad. It's mm-hmm. like that with me with spicy food. <laughs> yeah. So before we go any further, we should tell you what this book is about. Yes. So it is called The Heart Principle. It's by Helen Huang. We discussed one of her other books in another episode a few months ago. It was called The Kiss Quotient. And it was a book that I think we both read, but I, it was the first book of hers that I had read at that time. And so Kara's now read all three books in the series, and I've only read this one and The Kiss Quotient. But um, the, some of the characters are repeating, and it's the same like, group of friends, but the story doesn't really, like, connect to the previous story. So even if you haven't read the previous ones, you can technically read the current one, but it kind of might give you some spoilers and stuff, so it might be nice to read all three of them in order. Okay, so the first one is called The Kish Quotient, then the second one was The Bride Test, and then this is The Heart Principle, and... So this is about a woman, her name's Anna Sun, and she is a violinist, and she had this viral YouTube video, like, a while ago, and it was, like, 
her moment of fame and she's been having trouble coming back after that viral moment and she's been trying to like make progress on this violin piece but she's really having some mental blocks and also she's been in this like serious relationship with her boyfriend Julian and all of a sudden he tells her that he really wants to take things to the next level but first he wants to see other people and she's like I mean she's not happy and all of her friends are like that's not okay like you should see other people too so at that point she's like okay I'm gonna go have a one night stand and she's on this dating app and she decides to meet up with this guy named Kwan and um, she also has like a lot of social anxiety so their first meeting is not quite what they both had in mind and she's planning to like actually like hook up that night and that doesn't happen so then they end up rescheduling for a future time and they do meet up a second time and they still don't really hook up so at that point they're kind of both like developing feelings for each other and it's like at what point does hooking up just stay hooking up and like you know where's the line right yeah this book they explore her uh sexual desires and and her forming relationship with Quan and also her forming relationship with her true self because she got diagnosed as autistic or you know she's on the autism spectrum and and coming into terms with that and of course something happens in in Anna's life that is so tragic that that she also has to explore her relationship with her family in a different level because now she knows what she is or you know what her diagnosis so it just brings her relationships with them to a different level so that's pretty much the gist of the book and I have read all three and as you guys have been listening um, I don't really do series and honestly I didn't know that it was a series until I read the until after I read the second book The Bright Test and I look at the cover and it was like oh it's a sequel to The Kiss Quotient I'm like what do you mean it's a sequel and then and then I and I like kind of went through the book again I'm like oh the first character the characters from the first book were in the second book kind of like a cameo I mean they play a little bit um in the book but like it's not you know enough to to take over the whole book but in this third book I will say that characters from the first book play a bigger role and the character the main character from the second book plays maybe like a minor like one chapter role yeah so I didn't know this until after I read this book that that the these books are connected via the guys. So like the main guy from the first book, Michael, is the cousin of Quan, which is uh, who is the main character of this third book. And the second book's main character named Kai is the younger brother of Quan. So. Uh, so I just found that out for some reason I was thinking that the connection is between the ladies somehow um, But no, it's not it's the guys So that mm-hmm. was kind of fun to explore that and I'm like, oh, that's nice Yeah, I wasn't really expecting that and then it but it flows so flawlessly that you definitely do not need to read the first or second book Although I definitely recommend you do because it has very very spicy moments and and it, you know it's also a great book to bring awareness to autism and just all the human issues that we go through you know that excerpt is a little tame but right before that excerpt was oof I was reading that in public and yeah I would say don't read that in public definitely do not listen to the audiobook in public listen in your headphones somewhere private because trust me it gets super graphic and just in the rare chance that you want to know what page that was on and what I'm talking about 
that is on page 77 and I think it's like one two three four about fifth paragraph down so just read that page and then you know what I'm talking about but yeah this book has a lot of, a lot of graphic moments yeah and I think it's kind of connecting to um the theme of like women discovering their sexuality and the main character is someone who like hasn't really done that in the past even though she's been in a serious relationship for five years she hasn't really explored much and she doesn't know what she's missing really until she meets this guy yeah definitely and you know as females we've been well, one, we have not really been taught about sex as much or how to enjoy it because, you know, sex is taboo. I mean, I remember my first time talking about sex with my parents. Well, it was, you know, one of those talks. Literally, it was my dad saying, don't invite a boy to sit on your bed. That's it. <laughs> that literally was it. I was like, okay. I mean, I knew about sex then because, you know, fan fiction and, you know, how graphic they can get. So, obviously, I knew about sex and what to do and what not to do. But my dad's version of the talk was literally so spicy. But... To sit on your bed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how was your sex talk? Um, I, I think my parents felt equally awkward as I did talking about it, as most parents do, I think. Most parents don't really look forward to, like, talking to their kids. So my parents didn't really tell me much because by the time they thought it was important to, like, have some sort of conversation with me, I kind of knew the basics already. And my mom was like, if you ever want to talk about something, just let me know. And, of course, like, I didn't because, like, who wants to initiate that? conversation yeah so I didn't really do that and I was like if you're good I'm good (laughs) and so we just like never talked about anything yeah it's just really awkward and not only that like schools don't really do a good job of it either I mean I know there are schools that really teach us about how to put on a condom they have great sex ed and they talk about STDs and all that but the high school that we went to it was just you know abstinence and you can get potential STDs, and that's it. Oh, that wasn't my class, actually. I had a really good um, uh, community worker come in to talk to us, and it wasn't the woman who came in. She wasn't just talking about sex. She was talking about, like, boundaries and relationships. Okay. and So it was really cool, actually. Yeah, I don't think we had that. We had a community worker come in to talk about rape culture. and. and oh, it might have been the same person. Maybe, but I don't think... I remember discussing about sex in particular, like, or, like, how to put on a condom, or, like, how to really verbally tell people, you know, uh, how to verbally consent or such. It was just more about, like, the rape culture and how it is not the victim's fault and all that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, Going back to the sex culture in the female world, you know, we definitely have not been adequately taught on how to enjoy how to explore well there's so much so much um to explore in the sex world mm-hmm. like yeah um it's not just how to have sex it's like what do you enjoy and then what do you not enjoy what kind of kinks do you like and that's pretty much what anna goes through and she gets to explore that. And, of course, she goes through that with a lot of hesitation. I mean, at some point, I remember she was like, why can't he just know? And, you know, when... And that's a prime example of of the lack of sex education in females. Because mm-hmm. we're not... You know, we're not... Um, because we're scared to, like, voice what we want or what we like. And then we just think that the guys should know because we see the guys talking more about it openly. And then that puts a lot of pressure on the guys, too. Because if you meet a good guy who really cares about you in sex, like, they want you to enjoy, but now they're at a loss on how to make that happen. Which is something that we saw in Quan as well. Yeah. Well, it also makes it harder... For Anna, because she has some social anxiety, and so she's struggling to tell Michael what she wants, just because she has so much trouble, like, speaking up for herself. 
Right. And that also has to do with, you know, her not knowing her diagnosis before. Um, she found out a little bit later after she met Quan. So, like, the first few meetings, she was just like, oh, I'm normal. I'm just like anybody else. So, so that was a definitely a journey to go through. And then that was a journey to go through for Quan as well. And then one thing I love about Quan was how patient he was. And it could have been the fact that, you know, his cousin's uh, little brother, who also his cousin, is autistic. So he may have had already experience with dealing with people who have autism or autism spectrum. So that may be why. But I just love how Quan really wants to please Anna and how he would not do anything without Anna's consent and then how he really wants Anna to know what she likes. Because throughout yeah. the book, like, Quan keeps telling, ask, well, not telling her, Quan keeps asking her, like, what do you want me to do? Is this better? Do you like it this way? Do you not like it that way? So that's a great communication to have in sex life. Yeah, and he actually tells her, why can't you show me what you want? by yourself and she's she's like really uncomfortable with that at first but then eventually she's like okay this is how I like to be touched and um and she kind of like does it her own way but it takes a while for them to get comfortable with each other right yeah and you know that's to be expected especially with any new relationships because well you don't know the other person and you I don't know I mean I feel like when you're with a new person and then your experience has always been kind of one-sided in the past I feel like you will have a hard time no matter what so I, I understand where Anna is coming from yeah it's not too different from Stella and the Kiss Quotients experience where she was just so used to the guys um, feeling good, and she she just had accepted that it wasn't going to feel good for her. Good. And it sounds like Anna has a kind of similar experience at the beginning. Yeah, which is very unfortunate. And and you know I can't imagine how many ladies in the world that just accepted that. Mm-hmm. Because I'm pretty sure we all have been Anna and Stella at some point, especially in our early sex life. Um, but hopefully, you know, the, these ladies in, out there in the world who are who has this experience have gone from from Anna 1.0 to Anna 2.0, where she's now voicing what she likes and what she doesn't like. The most important part is communication. But to even have that communication you need to have a partner who's willing to listen and who's willing to be who's willing to care and who's willing to be patient. So Anna and Quan meet for the first time, both intending to just have a one night stand. And so I feel like that makes it a little harder to have all of these like communicating all this communication. Like it's hard to communicate like how exactly you want something when you're not comfortable with the other person and also like when you're never going to see them again. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, when you, especially when you're doing one night stand, it's all about fulfilling your needs, right? So either whether you're a man or a woman, you just kind of need to be selfish in a sense and avoid what exactly you need because like you say, you're not going to meet, uh, meet this person again. So for this one night, just... Tell them what you want. Tell them what exactly pleases you. It's hard to do, but, you know, it is important to know that, especially in one night stands, that both of you are there to pretty much fulfill your own desires. Yeah. Yeah. But definitely, um, it's hard if you have autism or some sort of um, autism spectrum, which is what, um, what Anna has. And then, you know, the moment that... And I realized that she has autism. That was that was a wake up call. And then I would actually love to read an excerpt from the book. 
So this is on page 92. And then this is after she met with her her um, therapist and she, you know, found out that she may be on autism spectrum and her therapist gave her a book to kind of read about other people's experiences uh, by other people. I mean, the ladies who also are on these autism spectrum. And then she, after she read all that, she was just like walking home and she realized that she was crying. So this is how it goes. I walk home in a sort of a trance. It's not until passing pedestrian give me double takes and odd looks that I realize I'm crying. I don't try to stop. I let the tears fall. I cry for the girl I used to be. I cry for me. It's a foreign experience. Self-pity is not an indulgence that I allow myself. This doesn't feel like pity though. It feels like self-compassion and the realization makes me cry harder. No one should need a diagnosis in order to be compassionate to themselves. That last line though. That yeah. that was a heavy line for me. What do you think? It's so true. I actually I heard someone talking yesterday about like something kind of similar where um you know Anna realizes that um she hasn't been loving to herself and having this diagnosis feels validating enough that she's like maybe I should love myself more but the diagnosis helped her like validate that um but it it's true like just because you're not diagnosed doesn't mean you should like hate yourself and like be super critical or anything but I yeah I was hearing someone talk a few days ago about how they're in college and um they were like my professors aren't going to like take my issues seriously because they're struggling a lot in college and they're like I'm not sure my professors are gonna take my struggle seriously because I'm not diagnosed and and I was like but that's their job like they're supposed to help you and it doesn't matter if you have a diagnosis or not and yeah I feel like it's kind of the same thing like you should love yourself anyway it doesn't matter like if you have something like autism or anything else true but you know it's it's hard and it this shows well that sentence shows the discriminatory nature of humans right i will give you an example which doesn't even have to do with autism like people sometimes don't care to think what the other person is going through and then the other person may act weird or like may not be wanting to do it and then we like couldn't understand until they tell us something and and then at that point we're like oh i didn't know you were going through that much oh it's okay like yeah but that shouldn't have happened we should just be like okay just accept it just accept what they are willing to give us we shouldn't have we shouldn't have needed to hear their actual explanation so going back to this, it's like, it's hard because on one hand, from the logical point of view, you know, if I don't know what's going on with you, how could I be able to help you? And especially with, with mental illnesses and then autism and other kind of spectrum, if doctors and teachers don't know that you have autism, they, they may not know how to help you, but I don't know. It's a hard topic. It, it's a very... It's hard to explain, too. I don't even know what I'm saying anymore, to be honest. Yeah, but I I have, like, seen those moments where, like, someone is um, behaving in a way that's, like, frustrating people or something, and everyone's frustrated with it, and then, and then someone tells them, well, you know, like, he does have this, like, condition or the syndrome or something and then it's like oh, okay yeah everybody loves them just because like you know that there's a reason for all these behaviors and so yeah I wonder why that is but I think it's because people just bias in general and then people feel like they're they're entitled to an explanation and and you see that all the time like, at least I see that all the time. 
And I don't think that's something that we can fix, unfortunately, because I don't know, because people are just the way they are. And it, I feel like in my 28 years of life, which is very short compared to other people, I've, um, I feel like I haven't really seen anybody who's just accept, you know, that is short explanation of I know or no, sorry, the short answer of no or like the short answer of I can't. I mean, and then also I know that sometimes I don't accept that either. Unfortunately, sometimes I want to know why because communication is key. So it's a definitely a fine line between needing to know exactly what you're going through to be able to help you versus just being entitled and needing to know to show compassion. That being said, it is very unfortunate that Anna has to keep masking so that she can fit in. And and that is not something that that, you know, only her only she goes through, uh, unfortunately. Um, a lot of people go through that. I mean, I think we all have gone through it at some point in our life, whether that masking is as big as Anna's mask or, you know, just us masking for something small in general. And and that's really sad to think about sometimes that we have to mask to fit in. But what, um, what was the last time that you masked for, you know, people? So I was just thinking, I um, hadn't remembered this till just now, but I was going out with someone recently and the first like one or two times we went out, I think I was a really different person and I was like talking a lot and I was really like energetic and I was telling all these stories and, and then like, maybe, like, the fourth time or so we went out, like, um, he made this comment, and he was like, I can't tell if you're having fun. You're so reserved. And I was like, wow. Like, either I was pretending to be something not earlier, or now I'm having, like, all of this, like, sudden nervousness. So either I was masking a lot at the beginning, on the first few dates or now like all of my nervousness has like somehow come to the surface and um I don't know something happened but yeah I feel like I was probably masking a lot at the beginning where like I was using like stories and things like that to kind of hide like being nervous and stuff and I guess he like never noticed so at one point I was I was telling him because he thought like maybe I wasn't interested in hanging out or something and I was like no I feel like I just get really nervous and um and and then I don't like ask you as many questions and stuff because he was asking like why don't you ask me questions about like my day and things like that when I ask you so many questions and, and I was like, I don't know, sometimes I just, I get really nervous, I don't know what to say, and then I don't know how you're going to respond, and I don't know how I'm going to respond to your response, and, and he was like, wow, and I was like, I know it sounds like completely nuts, but like, I don't know, I have thoughts like that, like going through my head sometimes, and, um, and I feel like I was just like ignoring all of that at the beginning, but, um, like, a lot of times when I'm with, like, other people, I just have, like, a lot of drinks. And, like, then it doesn't matter because I'm just, like, drinking. So mm-hmm. I think drinking's another way that you can kind of, like, um, blend loose. in Let, okay. with, like, everybody else. We're not promoting alcoholism. <laughs> no. Yes. Uh, I mean, it's just a way to let loose and blend in, but don't become alcoholic guys that's not the good way to go I do wonder how many people with like anxiety and like um you know or who are like overstimulated I think being overstimulated is another thing so I wonder how many people who deal with things like that turn to things like drinking or like smoking weed or um or even like excessive eating as ways to like hide all of the other things that 
are going on? That's a good question. I don't know if there's a study between alcoholism and um, people on spectrum, but that would be something for me to look up after this. Or, yeah, or people with, like, social anxiety or things like that. Right. Maybe, perhaps. Yeah, unfortunately, and I am not a psychologist or or a um, sociologist, so I can't tell you, but... But there probably are some studies between drinking and and anxiety. There's somehow they gotta be. Somehow somebody has to question that, and then like they probably did Mm -hmm. a study on that alone. If you like our podcast. Make sure to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you listen on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> that was like an awkward I honestly could say that I have not been masking to the level that Anna has to. I mean, Anna goes through a lot and she, I remember at the one point where she smiled really big to Quan and Quan was like, why is that funny? And, and yeah, that's not something that I have ever done. So I definitely do not know what it's like to go through. And it is interesting to read about that from, you know, somebody who's autistic because I don't know if you guys know this, Helen Horn herself is on autism spectrum. And so a lot of emotions that she portrays in these characters have come from her own experiences, which is mm-hmm. pretty neat to listen to, uh, need to read. As for me is the most I have masked is, well, there are two areas, which the first one is when like I have parties or like I do some gatherings, you know, I'm the host most of the time because my friends unfortunately aren't the ones to host. Or, um, or like they're like the type, like they will come, but like they won't host, so that I have to host. And then my parents are great at hosting parties, so like I definitely, um, know some tips from that. And but because of that, I think I'm, you know, I definitely put on the facade of like a perfect host in a sense, in my opinion. Uh, other people may not think that way. I don't know what other people think of my hosting skills, but definitely something that I notice of myself. Uh, sometimes like I forget to eat even though it's my mm-hmm. own party like and I didn't realize it until like after the party I'm like oh I'm so hungry and my boyfriend was like we had food I'm like oh yeah I didn't eat <laughs> so which now he makes sure that I eat by putting food in my plate so that's really nice of him in a way he's kind of like Kwan like he's just like here now that I know about you I'm gonna make sure that you are taken care of yeah um for me, you know, my masking is not really severe. Um, the Like I said earlier, that I said there were two places I kind of mask. The first one was like when I'm in a big group on a hosting and, you know, kind of become this uh, party, party planner. But then that's just like a facade that I put on. I don't think I don't really consider that much of a masking. I mean, it is a form of masking, but not to the level of Anna. But the second one is actually kind of tied into our third point of the podcast is is masking due to your family and due to your culture. So in case you don't know, um, Helen Hoan is Asian and her books have have centered around Asian themes. Um, so Anna is Chinese and she speaks Cantonese and Kwan is Vietnamese and so on. And Anna is the youngest of her whole family. So I don't know how it is like in other cultures, but in Asian culture, especially in Chinese culture, actually not just Chinese culture, in pretty much all Asian culture, um, the youngest has to always respect the elder and then the elder whatever the elder say is kind of like the way to go and then that's a great hierarchy 
in a sense because you know it shows that you really respect the elder and, and then it's definitely a mindset that a lot of people could use but there are also problems that come with it and unfortunately in Anna's story like Anna finally told her older sister JJ well she calls her JJ like big sister and um oh by the way which I'm pretty sure I'm pronouncing that wrong but but JJ wasn't willing to accept that Anna's autistic and she was like like you can't be using autism as an excuse for your shortcomings which is a terrible way to tell your sister um but where I'm getting with the whole masking is that like even my family um so a little background on me I'm Burmese and I'm from Southeast Asia and I am the youngest and in my family you know of course me being the female and the youngest you always have to kind of respect the elder which is my parents right but I also see sexism in like my own family and in these cultures and in some other discriminatory uh, practices that I see that that is just a cultural norm and it's hard to be the youngest because you want your voice to get heard and you want to be to be known for you for who you are but when you're the youngest when there are so many high influential um people above your generation uh it's just hard like for example and i have taken sign language classes and i know this has nothing to do with this book but bear me uh bear with me on this so i have taken two sign languages classes and in both sign language classes my teacher told me that i don't show emotions and <laughs> And I find that very odd. And then he, and then later on, he was like, it may happen in your culture that you don't show emotions. Um, but in this class, you're going to have to show emotion. The first time, the first teacher told me, I was like, okay, whatever. But then the second class, this, you know, a different teacher also told me this. And then that's when I realized, huh, like my culture, my family kind of made me or groomed me in this way where because I'm the youngest, I can't really voice my my concerns or like voice my opinions. I just kind of go along with the with whatever that they're doing, and then I just kind of shut my mouth. And I also, sh I also in a sense shut my emotions, and then I don't show them. So uh, the rest of your family doesn't do that. I do not know. I wasn't really well back then. I don't know because I just didn't even think about it until. Mm -hmm. um, until my teacher pointed that out to me yeah I just didn't think about it mm -hmm. it's just you know I'm supposed to do what they want to do and of course it's not I'm not saying that like I don't ever fight with my parents obviously I do but I didn't realize how much I was masking until two different teachers pointed that out because I wasn't showing enough emotions or enough facial expression mm -hmm. um in sign language yeah so connecting that my own experience to this book you can clearly tell that you know when jj arrived to san francisco from new york anna was definitely uncomfortable and and kwan noticed this that like at some point she kind of made herself sound small like or look small and she's not the same anna that kwan knew like she's like this little girl who's afraid to speak against her parents because JJ has always taken in charge so um that's a connection that I have between my own life and Anna's regarding masking and like Asian culture yeah she she knows that her sister just isn't going to accept certain things about her so she just hides them and she she just doesn't talk about her autism diagnosis and um she just keeps like struggling through her family life right yeah and if you listening to our asians um i definitely 
recommend you joining this group called Settle Asian Traits Group on Facebook. That group has a lot of Asians all over the world and it's really nice to hear stories from you know all ages who are descendants of immigrants or who are immigrant themselves and who are just going through identity crisis or like dealing with how to tell their parents that they want to do something else in their life or how to reveal some sort of mental illness to them or how to create boundaries within their culture so it's a really nice group to go on and if you guys ever need support um that group is definitely something that i recommend um yeah so definitely go check that out and i'm pretty sure if anna is real i would tell anna to go on that group as well because that's a a really nice group to be in but like asian culture has a lack of education on mental illnesses still they uh, are definitely understanding on certain topics like down syndrome so like my brother has down syndrome and then you know people with down syndrome you can clearly see the uh the traits on their faces and their bodies but like for something like autism you can't always see that so with that um i would say asian um asian communities has less tolerance to that and less acceptance to that and that is something that they still need to work on and i'm pretty sure if they just have more education on on what is what it what autism is or what mental illness is and I'm sure um, it will improve. Yeah, I think this book is a good, like, you know, step in the right direction because it shows that even if someone has autism, like, even if they're dealing with all of these struggles and obstacles, they can still have a successful career, they can still have, like, a successful love life, and they can learn some coping skills right yeah but to have all that you also need support group and not a lot of people are privileged to have that and then that's something that i want to actually point out on anna obviously did not have a support group in the beginning right like i mean yes she has her two friends uh that she texts all the time and then she has her therapist and she has kwan but like but like before she met kwan she didn't really have the support from her her family she was alone but the key difference between her and a lot of other people in the real world is that she has money due to her fame um due to her viral video so you know it is it is a little bit difficult to to acknowledge what you have when you can't afford a psychiatrist and when you can't afford a therapy session because not every insurance car, uh, cover therapy session and even if they do you still have to pay quite a bit and then they may not always have an uh, appointment open so that is something to point out that like like people need support group but it's harder when you're poor <clears throat> and she is also higher functioning than a lot of other people as her therapist says um she might have gotten gone that long without being diagnosed because she was higher functioning and she'd learned to mask and i think that's one reason she's been as successful as she has been but it's also why like other people don't necessarily know what she's struggling with that is very true yeah yeah and then when she finally realizes what she has when she was diagnosed and she read that book that realization just hit her like a flood of river and then just how she was crying and that excerpt that i said earlier i was like wow this is a very powerful excerpt uh, just the acceptance of yourself and then just having compassion and then just knowing that you're enough that's not to say that she's all better i mean throughout the book you can see that you know she goes back and forth be- between um between understanding what she's doing, how she is, who she is, but going back to her old mindset of like, no, I can just do it differently and I can just do better. Like she has a tendency of like starting something and then not getting it just right and then just starting over. And that's 
and that has been shown all throughout the book where especially with her music because she uh she was playing and she just stops playing or rather she uh, she keeps starting over because it just doesn't feel right and then this and then you know her realization that she has autism still on the spectrum doesn't stop her from doesn't uh doesn't delete that trait she still has that problem and in fact in the end i think the epilogue pretty much says that like you know i wish i could say that i'm better or i wish i could say that i worked all out but the reality is that she still hasn't technically but she was um referred to a psychiatrist and then she had to rely on the medicine and then she got a little better so that was a nice way to to show that how you can cope i think yeah i think that was for depression though right because she has a family tragedy and she's really struggling after that and she just goes through periods where she's not doing anything like she can barely like eat and all of that so eventually she gets on medication but i think that's for her depression because of what happened with her family okay i can see that yeah but i don't think her autism helped either yeah probably not yeah but you're right that's more for the art oh sorry that's more for the depression Mm -hmm. yeah actually i would consider depression a mental illness but i wouldn't say autism is necessarily an illness especially because a lot of people with autism say that they don't if they could find a cure they wouldn't want one because it's just like who they are and they say they wouldn't be themselves without it so um and that's kind of what the i don't know if you've heard about like the controversy with like autism speaks i think there's this organization called autism speaks and it's basically just like parents and families of kids with autism and it's all about like autism awareness and people who actually have autism have been complaining for the past like at least like six seven years but maybe longer but they say that like we we don't want you to like cure us or anything we're fine the way we are we just want people to like accept us the way we are they they don't want the um the cure that groups like autism speaks keeps trying to like find they don't want people to cure them they just want people to accept them the way they are that makes sense yeah so i definitely apologize if i said that autism is a mental illness sorry about that um you know definitely a lack of education on my part obviously so i will try to uh um think before i speak yeah yeah it it also just like different people's perspectives because i think it's the same with like a lot of other communities like you know the deaf community for example is another community where us hearing people think you know if someone's deaf and there's a device that they can use to make them hearing like obviously they would want it but a lot of people who are deaf actually they're happy the way they are they have their own like deaf culture their own deaf community they have a whole university in washington dc which like only has like deaf people and so they have their own like whole communities so they don't necessarily want to change and it's more about the rest of us kind of like accepting them right yeah so the next thing we wanted to talk about was male vulnerability Right, and this centers around Quan and a little bit Anna's dad. So a little bit about Quan is that Quan had testicular cancer, so pretty much he um he had surgery. He's all cured now. He's cancer free. He's a survivor, but you know he does not feel like a survivor because they pretty much took away one testicle, and he doesn't feel like he's a man like he's a whole man and that is something that he definitely struggles and he is what um you would call like super hot super bad boy he can get any ladies he wants and he has always 
gotten any ladies he wants. Sex is never the issue. But ever since the surgery, he felt conscious of his body, especially down there. And one of the reasons he answered Anna's uh, online text thing, oh, it's kind of like Tinder pretty much, um, is that he was like, well, this is a one night stand. I don't have to care about it. I just need to get back in the game. So, but it is definitely something that he is very conscious of. And then that shows that, you know, males are not really taught to be vulnerable, which is really unfortunate because anybody, everybody is vulnerable in scenarios like this, in cases like this, especially when you have gone through cancer. But but of course for Quan, it's not necessarily about the cancer. It's like about him being a man and him not being able to look like a man or yeah or you know just stand tall like a man I guess and and he feels very vulnerable about that and then as I was saying earlier it also a little bit more about Anna's dad because there was one part where Anna's dad was on the hospital bed and he has to relieve himself and the thing is he went through a stroke and then he will never really you know move again and walk again and he definitely cannot carry himself to the bathroom he's pretty much paralyzed and he was trying really hard to be able to get up and go to the bathroom himself but but the nurse was like no you just you can just let yourself go on the bed and then he he really did not want to but at the end obviously his body won and he relieved um he relieved himself on the bed and he cried. And mm-hmm. then those are just like, those are, you know, those are the defining moments that show like how proud people were, or males were, and they're like not, well, Anna's dad's case is a little different, of course, but, uh, but in general, like just shows how proud people are and, and you can see how males have not been taught adequately on being vulnerable and that is okay to not be okay yeah yeah so but of course like anything you know things do get get better and especially with Anna Quan is be Quan is able to uh, to express himself especially about his um his condition or his scar and and then you know it, things do get better, but those coping skills that that support group definitely definitely did not happen overnight. It happened over time, and then some people may not have a chance to find them at all. So definitely, both Anna and Kwan got lucky that they were able to be each other's support system, and that is something that. That we should all strive for, uh, whether that support system is a group of friends or uh, a group of professionals or our family or our loved ones, you know. But definitely something to strive for. Yeah, or even like worship communities. I think mm-hmm. are another one. Definitely, yeah, yeah, and and you know, just if you're a male. And you ever been told that it's men don't cry? Don't don't listen to that. It's okay to cry. It's okay to not be okay. And if you're a female and you've been told that that you know don't make a scene, don't get hysterical, don't listen to them. It's it's okay to be to feel what you're feeling. It's okay to voice out your thoughts and your feelings at the time. It's definitely okay. Yeah. And anyway, jumping on to a little bit lighter part of the book, um, one of my favorite part was actually about uh, about these guys, guys as in Quan, Kai, who is Quan's uh, brother, and then Michael are all in the group, and they were talking about how Anna is 
Kwan's girlfriend. And Kwan was like, no, she's not my girlfriend. I don't even know if she likes me. Things like that. And then, um, and then Michael was like, I can show you. And so let me, uh, turn to that page. Okay, so this is on page 119. So pretty much, um, Kwan is texting Anna and, and, and Michael overlooked it and then Michael was like, what? There's no heart? And Kwan was like, no. But then Michael pretty much stole the phone away and then like, like put a heart on it and he sent it. And, and then Kwan was like, I'm going to kill him with my bare hands as painful as possible. Uh, but then, but then of course, you know, Anna texts back and she was like, yeah, I was thinking about you too. And there at the end, it's a red heart, just like Kwan's. Uh, well, you know, Michael said that, but like, just like Kwan's. And then, so it goes, the excerpt goes, um, this is on page 119, by the way. I stare at her message for the longest time, completely stunned out of my rage. Do you think she, does she... Maybe she? Michael wraps an arm around my shoulder. That, my friend, means she likes you. I read about this in Cosmo. <laughs> I don't know you. I don't know about you guys, but that part really, really made me laugh. And I was at work, and uh, I'm glad that nobody saw me. That I actually laughed out loud. But it's just really funny that he was like, "I read about this in Cosmo. It's real. It's true." <laughs> You know, it's like how little teen girls are like, yeah, I did this quiz in Cosmo. It's true. He loves me. It's like, what? No, that's not what it means. But yeah, I guess it works. Yeah. Do you have any uh, moments that you just love in this book? I think the beginning was really sweet where, um, where Anna's going out for the first time and she's determined to have this one night stand and... She's been talking to Kwan for a day, and they end up just talking about octopus documentaries on Netflix. So, you know, like, other people might, like, flirt with each other and, like, I don't know, like, like talk dirty or something, but, like, she and he connect over octopus and um and she's like what are you doing and he's like i'm just watching a documentary and she's like which one and he's he's talking about this octopus documentary and she's like oh yeah i like that one and um and so then they just like end up talking about that and i just thought that was funny because i think at that point they weren't ever expecting that it would turn into something more but I feel like if you meet someone where you can just, like, talk about documentaries and stuff, like, it shows that there's something deeper there than just a hookup, probably. Yeah, like, there's a connection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I definitely could draw parallels between Kwan's and Anna's relationship, especially in the beginning to me and my boyfriend's relationship because we were friends. Mm -hmm. And then, like, they were... I have... Like any other ladies, obviously I have problems with the boys, you know, with just the the crushes. And uh, guess who I went to when I had those problems? I actually went to my boyfriend, who was not my boyfriend at the time, obviously. I was just like, oh no, what do I do? And then he was like a great friend. So, but now we're dating. So <laughs> yeah, he knows way too many embarrassing things about me, obviously, which is not ideal, but that's just how it is. And that level of connection is is great to have yeah and uh, you know who um i love in this book actually faith faith is anna's cousin and she only showed up in about like two or three chapters kind of near the end uh, but she just she's just a more easygoing flowing yoga loving cousin and then the first time she learned that anna may be autistic because uh, JJ was just, you know, kind of bad-mouthing Anna, and and Quan overheard this, by the way, which is why we know that that was happening. Um, Felicia didn't, like, flinch or did anything weirdly of... Faith, you mean? Thank you. <laughs> Not Felicia, yeah. But uh, Faith uh, didn't, like, think 
weirdly or she didn't flinch she just she was like yeah that actually makes sense like she was willing to accept it mm-hmm. so which is very very nice yeah also i realized that i've been calling the older sister jj this whole time her real name is priscilla yeah so i don't know how you pronounce it is it jj or like jaja or Gigi? I have I no know. idea. I unfortunately do not speak Cantonese. I do know that the younger sister is like Mei Mei. Yeah, that makes sense. Because yeah. Priscilla calls Anna Mei Mei. Yeah. But I think Gigi or JJ means older sister. And then younger sister is probably Mei Mei. Yeah. So I I love that character. And then of course, you know, everybody else is lovely. And I love how the mom accepts Anna more than Priscilla accepted um, Anna. And the another part which which um, I didn't really really realize until kind of like in the middle and I should have known this because the back cover actually say her whole name which is Anna San. Mm-hmm. But Anna San is actually a song by Walk the Moon that I used to listen to all the time. Uh, and then she was actually named after a song. They actually explore that in in some part, I think like somewhere in the middle where where um Quan finally saw the video uh, of Anna on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just thought that that was funny and then Anna San is a really great song by Walk the Moon so I definitely definitely recommend you listening to it I loved it I think I remember it from my high school days yeah it's an older song though so um of course you know there are some frustrating parts right like Priscilla not accepting that was hard that was yeah hard. I couldn't believe some of the things Priscilla said yeah they were very mean they were very very mean and then you know, she wasn't ready for her dad to pass. So she was taking it out on Anna. She wasn't appreciative. She didn't think that she did anything wrong. And then sometimes I see that in, like, older older people, uh, like, parental figures. Like, I definitely have seen that sometimes in my parents. Like, I didn't do anything wrong, so why should I be the one? one um apologizing and why should i be the one to fix it but in reality it's like no you actually did a lot of things on you hurt people and you're just not willing to accept that so um definitely priscilla is my my least favorite part about this book but we gotta have a villain somehow (laughs) so Yeah. yeah and then of course um i really love the how this book has like epilogue and then um, you know, it shows you where they are after like two years, which is really nice. And I don't think that we got to see the epilogue in the first book. The second book does have an epilogue, but not as far out as this one, unless I'm wrong. I could be wrong. But yeah, so overall, I mean, I love this book. And then guys, if you guys are reading the book or half the book, in physical form look at the cover the heart is the motorcycle track like that's pretty cool yeah because kwan has a motorcycle and anna gets to ride on it for the first time yeah and on the cover he's on the bike and the bike is making this these tracks in the shape of a heart and the heart is enclosing anna so it's like she's wrapped in a hug caused by the motorcycle yeah, so it's super cute, and I love it. And then you know that Helen Hoan actually lives in San Diego? She does. Wouldn't it be amazing if we just, like, you know, ran into her one day at the grocery store or something? How would you engineer a meetup with her? I have no idea. Like, you know, one of those, like, accidentally on purpose. Like, oh, like, I didn't know you also were here. Okay, like, that kind I of. Just, I just dropped into this grocery store. Yeah, I don't think I'm on the. I don't think I want to stalk our beloved author. So if you have an idea, let me know. I don't think I uh, wanna wanna think of one. But what if Helen Huang's listening to this? How would it, Helen? If you're listening to this, would you be willing to meet with us? Let us know. We promise that we're not creeps. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> but yeah, it's pretty cool. And um, and you know, if you guys want to do like a book club, and then you don't really know what questions to ask, um, in the back there is a reader guide, and then I believe there are ten questions. Uh, on there and then they're actually really nice question. They're very in-depth So definitely check that out and I also recommend reading the acknowledgement and the author's note because She revealed that this book even though it's a fiction it is also like a memoir like a lot of Anna's feelings are her own and also um, Anna's Anna's tragic well Anna's dad tragic story also happened in her real life with her own mother. So, you know, definitely something to read through and and I it just needs to see how parallel uh how much it this book parallel to her life. And this is the first book that she used the first person sentences. So in other books it's always from third person point of view, but now this time this is the there are a lot of I statements. Good. This mm -hmm. is like the one book that is most like her. So definitely recommend it. Definitely. Okay, so we are getting to the end of our episode. If you've listened this far, it means a lot to us. We thank you so much. And we would love it if you could leave a review, subscribe, and reach us reach out to us on Instagram. We are at Hot Off the Shelves and we always love to hear comments about the books we've been reading and discuss your thoughts with us thank you so much have a good one y'all